Benvenuto a casa, mi bella amica. Merci beaucoup, mon bel ami. So, we both just had the opportunity to break out our passports and cross some borders. In fact, Jeff, you just got home from Europe yesterday. I did, and uh, my luggage should make it home today. <laughs> well, such is the way of the globetrotter, my friend. But your camera's home with you, which is good, right? And it's filled with amazing images. Yes, yes, it is. Uh, and it looks like you had fun in Canada. I did. We had a wonderful trip with a few good photo opportunities. We should photocombobulate our adventures. Condividiamo i racconti dei nostri viaggi. I went to some of the most incredible mountains in the world where I drank glacial meltwater and chomped on poutine. And I explored several of the world's oldest cities where I drank wine and feasted on delicious meats. <laughs> Let's share what we learned in our travels. Oh, there was so much to learn. I'm Jeff Carlson. And I'm Mason Marsh. Let's photocombobulate. Hey, Jeff. Welcome home. Welcome home. I know you're a little bit jet lagged, so I appreciate <laughs> you being awake this morning. Yeah, I had such a great time on my trip, and I know you had a wonderful time on your trip. I thought it would be a great episode if we just kind of shared some of the lessons we learned in our travels. We don't necessarily need to recount everything we did, but I learned quite a bit. We talk about travel photography a lot on this podcast, and I've traveled before, but every time I, I come back, I'm like, wow, I didn't see that coming. Yeah. <laughs> no, I learned some lessons, so... <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure you've got some lessons to share. I've got a few. Uh, so I thought maybe we would take some time to share some stories and give some tips of wisdom that we earned in our travels on these trips that we did. Yeah, definitely. I think, uh, well, hopefully I'm not going to fall asleep mid-podcast <laughs> because I am pretty jet-lagged. And it's and like I was going really good this morning and now it's like starting to fade just a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Um, so we'll make this quick. <laughs> <laughs> we learned a lot. Bye, everybody. <laughs> we can talk about this stuff a lot. And we have. And we've talked about clothing and gear and travel and all that stuff. But at some point, the rubber hits the road. Like reality uh, intrudes and you find yourself with maybe you know more gear than you needed or less gear you're you know needed something that like in my case you're in the middle of France and you realize that you don't have a blower to get the big sensor dust splotch off of your sensor and mm -hmm. so now I have a whole bunch of shots that I love, but I'm going to have to go and clone out this sensor spot, right? We talked to, to Scott Kelby about travel photography, and that was always like really, really uh, strong in my head. And there are lots of lessons that I learned from that. But there comes that point where, all right, now you're actually doing the thing. And how do you adapt? And what do you do when you're there at you know, 4.30 a.m. trying to make a good shot? So, yeah. so much to photocombobulate, and, and and what I think is cool is a we both went on trips at you know roughly the same time. We had some overlap, but you know yours was completely different from mine, mm -hmm. and I'm sure we're going to have different lessons, or maybe we'll just have the same lessons. Like, I think do I bring a camera? That's a good idea. Yeah. Let's bring a camera. <laughs> Let's review real quick for folks who don't know. I did a 10-day trip with my family. Both of our trips, by the way, were family mm -hmm. vacations. Family vacations. Not, 
not photo excursions, right? Right. So I did a 10-day trip in a camper van from Portland, our home, up to the Canadian Rockies, specifically Jasper and Banff National Parks in Alberta, Canada. Oh, such a great area. It was absolutely stunning. Absolutely I, almost every turn, I would just be like, oh, my God. You know, and I'm a guy who's seen some amazing mountains. I've lived in Alaska. I've lived in the Northwest most of my life. And, you know, big mountains aren't new to me, but these were a whole nother level. Mm. And, you know, I, I've, I've even hiked the Tetons. And I thought those were, like, as good as it gets. But these were even better than the Tetons. And I can't believe I'm saying that. But <laughs> we did this 10-day trip and it was in a camper van. So we were camping. We did a couple of nights in a hotel. We had a lot of rain. We had kind of the usual family vacation uh, <laughs> challenges. But it was a really, really nice trip. And we got a lot of great memories and some good photos. I got a few good opportunities to make some photos. And so for me, I'm satisfied with the trip. I don't Definitely didn't come home thinking, man, that was a lot of work for no, no good photos because it wasn't really a photo trip. Um, and so the photos, I consider those as uh, a bonus. Yeah, yeah. What would you say would be your your percentage of photography time spent? 5%? Yeah. <laughs> or less. Yeah. You know, I know how much time I spent driving. I spent 60 hours driving <clears throat> over, <laughs> That's a lot over of driving. 10 days. We covered 2,500 miles. And knowing that, you know, my photography time is obviously going to be a very small percentage of the trip. But I had the camera with me a lot. As with all trips, Jeff, I think the number one lesson that I never learn, and I don't know if I will ever learn it, because it's easy for me to sit here in my office now and say, man, I wish I would have, da, da, da. I never mm -hmm. take enough photos when we're just doing family stuff. Same yeah, with here. my phone. I and I took a lot with my iPhone. This this trip actually, I probably took seventy uh, percent of the photos I took on this trip were with my iPhone, and the other thirty percent were with my quote unquote real cameras. Wow. So, as you know, to harken back to our iPhone episode way back when, the iPhone thirteen Pro is a very viable camera, especially in situations where the lighting is challenging and you don't have tons of time. There was lots of times in campsites, for some reason, we had lots of campsites where the sun was coming down through the trees. And so there were these hot spots and then these deep shadows. And I would take out my real camera to take photos and they just were just too, it was too much dynamic range. I take out the iPhone and bang, it nails it. <laughs> yeah. You know, using that deep fusion AI technology, it's getting these photos that my real camera can't get without me doing some sort of bracketing. Mm -hmm. And so... When it comes to these moments that are with our families when we're not in photography mode, I wish I'd taken more pictures. And I, especially I was look, looking at your photos as you're sending them out on social media during your trip. I'm like, oh, you know, just getting all these great photos at times where I don't know if I'd be thinking about taking out my camera and making photos. And I need to do that more. Mm. I just need to – lesson number one, shoot more. Yeah. Um, you know, not just when it's – Perfect. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, because, you know, with me, there was always a tension between like family time and photography time. And mm -hmm. I would say for the most part, the quote unquote photography time were times when I specifically made the effort to go shoot a sunrise. And, mm -hmm. and, I, and I would say that was mostly sunrises just because of the way our schedule was. That was the time that you know I would get up at four o'clock in the morning because it's it's summer and the mm -hmm. 
the sun would come up at like 5.20, 5.30. So there would be times when I could just go and, and be the photographer alone. And that's when I would you know, do my, my sunrise shoots, my you know, landscapes. And on a couple of times, once in Florence, I just made a point of saying, look, I'm going to go shoot the sunset from this location. And if anybody wants to come with me, you're welcome to. <laughs> and all of them were like, oh, stand around <laughs> you with you <laughs> while you take pictures. We're going to go out to dinner. You go ahead and you know march off yeah. that direction. And that was fine. But I did try to, to, to have a camera with me at all times. And every once in a while, I mean, like walking through Paris or Rome or Venice, like I had some camera where I could take pictures as I saw them. But that was very much a – you know, sneak one here and there, or maybe mm-hmm. if if the rest of the group they wanted to go do some window shopping, and I, I am not a, a, You're a big shopping guy. guy. I'm not not a big shopping guy. Then I would wander around and look for some street scenes or lights, shadow, like all so of that kind of stuff. In these moments, you were bringing. You had your sling bag. I know you brought your Peak Design sling bag. Did you have your full kit with you, or were you just using the little X one hundred? So it it depended on the day. Okay. Uh, typically, so I, I brought two bodies. I brought my my X one hundred V, nice and and compact. I brought my uh, Fuji XT three with uh, an eighteen to one thirty five uh, zoom lens. So that that mm-hmm. just sort of covered the entire range. And then I also had my. 50, 50 millimeter, like a, a Viltrox F1.4. Mm-hmm. And if we were going to be doing something that I knew wanted to be particularly photographic, then I would bring my X-T3 and, and the spare lens and put that in, in the sling bag. But there were some days when I knew it was just going to be, let's just go see what is around in Venice when I would just bring the X100V. And mm. when we were starting off, I thought – like, all right, it's going to be silly to take two camera bodies. And so part of my brain was thinking back to what Scott Kelby said about like you don't need to bring a lot of gear. Bring your body, one lens, and a spare lens so you have a you know nice sort of range of things. And that's all you really need. But I, I really like this X100V and mm-hmm. it's nice and small and compact. And so – and because it didn't take up a whole lot of space, I had room for it. So I basically alternated between those okay. and that that worked out really well. I'm sure you shot a lot with your phone too. I shot a lot with my phone. In fact, uh, yeah. when you were mentioning the iPhone, I looked it up. I shot 588 photos with, mm, that's, yeah, with that's my a phone bit. And, and I came back with 2,958 shots from the, the whole trip. A lot more than me this time. <laughs> Usually I beat you but um, yeah, it's funny. I – I don't have a, a camera like the X100V. I've, I've had cameras like that, the dedicated sort of fixed lens, carry around street cameras. And I find that I just don't reach for them it, like I do with my phone. Mm-hmm. And especially now with a, a iPhone 13 with the three le- the three cameras, you know, the ultra wide, wide and telephoto, I feel like it covers so much yeah. that a fixed lens camera like the little Fuji just wouldn't do. I'm just really inclined to grab it. Now that said, there was a few times where I used my iPhone and I was like, man, I wish I'd used a, you know, better sensor mm-hmm. to, so I could make a larger image out of that or, or make a bigger print or something like that in the future. But most of the time it's snapshots around camp or in town or, or wherever we're at. 
Now, I brought everything on this trip. Now, I wasn't flying anywhere, so I had a camper van. So I had my big backpack in the back, and I also had a big tripod, and I brought my small shoulder bag. So I could populate the shoulder bag with a few things. And there was one hike we did in particular where I brought just the Sony uh, a7 IV and two or three lenses in the little shoulder bag. Mm -hmm. And I knew it was only going to be a few mile hike and I didn't need to bring the whole backpack. And as it turns out, I didn't even need everything that was in that that bag. I probably could have gotten by with single camera and a lens just on a strap. (laughs) would have been just fine. Yeah, But, you know, I had all this gear and... I there was a couple of times where I'm really glad I had those options. One in particular, and I'll share this story because I think this is instructive. On the trip like mine, there were several excursions we did where we were out and someone else was driving us around. One was a glacier. Uh, we used this big Terra bus, this all-terrain big crazy bus that drove up on the glacier. And we got to get out and walk around on this glacier. And it was really cool. And in that case, I brought my backpack. And I'm like, I want to be able to, you know, if I get up on the glacier and I want to take a telephoto shot, I want to have my 100 to 400 lens. I want to have this and that. And it was way too much. I could have gotten by with a camera and two lenses and plus my iPhone. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to, I didn't know what we were going to experience. So I wanted to cover my bases. And it it wasn't like I had to carry it far. I just had to get it onto this bus, which would take us to the Terra bus, which, you know, so we switched vehicles a few times, but it was my smaller camera backpack. So it worked. The other time I'm really glad I had it was a boat trip we did. So we went to uh, Maline Lake, which is up in Jasper National Park. And it's a fabulous, beautiful lake, incredible lake. But the boat takes you all the way up to the other end of the lake from where you start. And there's uh, this very famous little island. It's a very small little island called Spirit Island. It's got a few trees on it. And the, the way the lake frames it and the mountains frame it, it, it was actually used in a um, Kodachrome advertisement in the 50s, which drove tremendous amount of attention to that particular location, to the national park up there. It's one of those images that when you see it, you're like, oh, yeah, I've seen it that a thousand times. You know, yeah. Spirit Island and Malign Lake. <laughs> it was very, very <laughs> popular. I wanted to get it. I've been to lots of those types of places, but... Usually I only go there once and I want to get my own shot of the place. I want to take my own stab at it. And so I brought my full kit and all we had to do was take this boat ride up there. It was funny though. When I booked the trip, I didn't know this. They didn't, they weren't very good at communicating the details, but when we're on the island, we only had about 15 minutes. Oh. When we got to the island, we only had 15 minutes. Yeah. So you pull up to a dock, you disembark with all the other passengers. There's a little trail that's like 200 yards long, this little loop trail. And there's a few viewpoints along the trail that you can look across this little bay and see this island with the mountains. And I <laughs> raced down the trail, got set up. Had I wanted, I knew I wanted to make long exposure. It was kind of a cloudy day, and it was very moody. And I was, I'm like, I'm gonna, I'm thinking about on the way up there on the boat. I'm gonna go for a long exposure, blur that water, blur that sky, let everything that's moving sort of paint itself on the scene, and make this really deep and moody kind of image. And so. I needed lots of time to make those 30 second exposures over and over as many of them as I could grab. And so altogether I had like eight minutes Wow! <laughs> once I got off the boat, hiked over there, set up, I had like eight minutes of shooting time. And I'm really glad I had my full kit because I could just throw everything open. I'm like, okay, I need this, I need this. I wasn't fighting anything. It was all the way it should be. 
And I got the shot that I wanted. You know, even though I only had eight minutes, I, I had plenty of time to get the shot that I wanted. And I got back to the boat and I was very satisfied with the whole experience. But it was one of those places where everybody's done it. Everybody's done it differently. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I got a little bit of a different shot out of it. But you're definitely constrained. You're definitely constrained. And one of the lessons I learned on this trip is when you're working with an outside company, or guide or whatever, mm-hmm. And you don't have control over your itinerary. You don't have control of your transportation. You really need to be nimble. You really need to think ahead and and plan and pre-visualize so that you're on the boat and they're talking about, when we get to the island, you're going to have this much time. I'm like, oh, man. You got to think through exactly what you're going to do. And it's it reminded me of – I used to work in aerospace museums, and I've been around a lot of air show performers and been to a lot of air shows. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that air show – pilots do is they stand outside and they use their hand as their plane and they it looks silly but they're standing there and they're they're pre-visualizing their whole routine in their mind using their hand as their airplane and I'm, i remember watching these guys do this and these are people that do this they do these things every day during the air show season it's like come on don't you know your routine uh-huh. but that pre-mapping and that pre-thinking of every detail and based on the weather conditions you've got and all these things that are variable now i get it you know, I was on that boat going, okay, I'm going to get off. I'm going to get this this filter. It's in that pouch right there. I'm going to have that uh, ready to go. I don't want to put it right on the camera right now because I want to frame it up. I'm not sure which lens I'm going to choose yet. It's going to be the 24. It's going to be the 50. And so I got there and I tried the 24 and I was like, too wide. Switch to the 50. Mm-hmm. Switch filters. Switch filter adapter rings. You know, there's all these little moving parts. I pre-thought everything. Like, do you know where everything is? Is your sensor clean? So I got the blower out. I brought my blower. So <laughs> blew <laughs> Good out <man>. the sensor. <laughs> and I did it. And yeah, it was one of those things where I didn't have all day and it still worked out because I had everything I needed and I kind of thought it through. But it could have been, it could have been a goat rope, right? <laughs> it could have been awful. And I can imagine that there's a lot of people that go up there to get that famous photo and they realize they only got a few minutes and they blow it because it's it's just not what they were thinking yeah. it was gonna be. Yeah. Yeah. So. What time of day were you were you there? I mean it's We a- did the first first trip of the day because I wanted to have good light. And so yeah. we were up there again, it's June, so the sun had been up for hours. But we were up there like ten ten in the morning, but uh it was pretty cloudy and so it was very moody. Very moody. I'm glad it was not a bluebird kind of day because mm-hmm. it would have been a pretty standard, boring photo at that point. Yeah. Everybody's seen that one. Yeah. So w- one of the things that I found was – it's funny. I keep mentioning this, but Scott Kelby, you know, having him on our podcast was great. Um, his book is very, very good that we talked about. Um, we'll put, put a link in the show notes to, to both. Uh, but <laughs> I kept sort of – Unintentionally violating all of his advice, <laughs> uh, and you know, to to my own detriment uh, is the word I'm trying to find. See the 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 jet lag is coming yeah, out it's here, kicking in, kicking yeah, in. Know. There yeah. we go. So, like like for example, one of the things that he recommends when you go to a brand new city, especially like you know uh, Rome or Paris or whatever, is you know go take the the cheesy bus tour where you see all the sites and you can map out what's what looks good and what doesn't. We had no plan for that in our in our schedule. 
And so, for example, in Paris, the morning that I decided to go shoot the the Eiffel Tower from the Trocadero, which is like just right across the Seine, it's this great shot. And I took an Uber, got there early in the morning, and there's construction everywhere because I I didn't get a chance to to, to see that. And in fact, we were at the Eiffel Tower that previous evening, which it was cool to be at the Eiffel Tower. We actually went in. We went up to the top. Did not end up being a really good experience because there were so many people. I mean, it was just crammed with people. And I couldn't see where the Trocadero was. I didn't scope this out. So when I got there, the shot that I had in my head was just impossible. Again, we'll we'll put a link in the show notes to what it looked like. Um, and so I had to really improvise because he, here we are. I mean, the, the sun is coming up. The Eiffel Tower is lit up, but they're, they're in the middle of repainting it. And so <laughs> one of the legs is not lit up at all. So I had to just completely throw away my preconceived idea of what I wanted, which was basically a shot that a lot of people get. But like you said, like I wanted my version of the shot. And right. so I had to figure out, all right, now now what am I going to do? Because I'm here. I can't just give up and walk away. And I did end up getting a shot, which I think might be one of my favorites from the trip. But it was a total, a total fluke. Basically, <laughs> there were a bunch of guys who I'm pretty sure had been up partying all night and they came to this overlook and one of them stood up on a like a pylon or some mm-hmm. s- some sort of tall thing so he could like see uh, and get a good cell phone shot above the construction fence and I I managed to snap a quick picture of him doing that and suddenly where I had expected to have this this very classic landscape you know, um, epic sort of uh, posed thing. Instead, I ended up with something that was very impromptu and has a you know a person in it and has some character. And I had to like reorient my brain and say, "Oh, you know what? That's okay," because mm-hmm. I didn't get the shot that I wanted because I didn't do the research beforehand to figure that out. The, the same thing bit me when I was in Rome. I went to go shoot the Colosseum in the morning and didn't realize the. Overlook, there's a park across the street that is usually a good overlook for that. Oh, the park was closed for some reason. <laughs> and so I'm like, you know, walking around trying to find locations of, of the Coliseum to, to shoot because it's, I mean, it's big and they're also doing construction. And mm-hmm. so moments of frustration. And yet I think I got a half decent picture that I kind of like. I have a blog post that I'm I'm in the middle of writing so we can link to that possibly if it's done. Cool. But just that needing to be flexible and needing to to realize that everything that you had in your brain can be thrown out and then you have to remember, wait, I've got gear, I've got time, I know how to do something and let's see what we can do. And so now I have shots that I think are some shots that are different because they're not the same classic shots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're disrupted, right? So you get totally disrupted. Different. Yeah. One thing you mentioned I want to come back around on is is the crowds, the people, and I was struck by this on my trip. It was just busy everywhere we went. Yeah. And one hike we did in particular that you know I've seen lots of photos of this particular canyon. It's a it's in Banff National Park, and it's got this really beautiful trail that's on a boardwalk that goes out over the river, and it's 
Yeah, it's one of those kind of must-do things. And, and so, of course, everyone that goes there must do it. And, it, you know, we got up there. It was a nice day. And we had to park in, like, an overflow parking lot and walk an extra three-quarters of a mile to get to the trail. And it was like standing in line for miles. You know, we were we were not walking freely on this trail. Wow. We were following the people in front of us. And one of the things that it did to me was it completely removed the feeling I normally get when I'm walking along a river in nature, which is this sort of like, oh, this is really nice and refreshing. And it was much more like, I need to really make sure that my kids aren't holding up the people behind us if they want to come around us. Because there were people like, we're going faster. And they would come zooming around. Yeah. And a lot of this trail is a catwalk. So it's, you know, three feet wide or four feet wide. And that's, you can't go to the left. It's a rock. And you can't go to the right because it's the river. <laughs> and it was, it was stressful. And we got to a place where you can go through this little cave and look at a waterfall. And we stood in line to look at this, to go through this cave. We stood in line for, I don't know, half hour <laughs> to do that. Because it was like, it's one of the things we went up there to do. I was just really surprised. I shouldn't have been surprised by the crowds. Mm -hmm. it, but I was really disappointed is not is too strong of a word. But deflated, maybe? maybe a little frustrated that I should have expected it and set my mind to it. Mm -hmm. So I'd be ready for it because the hike was not a hike. It was a, a crowded city walk in a nature yeah. <laughs> natural place. Yeah. So, I mean, is that what your experience too? Is just packed full of people everywhere you went? Um, most of the places. I mean, it, it was weird. There were only two times that I really felt that that encroachment of people. And going to Europe at the end of June, beginning of July, like I expected that it was going to be busy. And I would imagine like this whole month is just going to be even more busy and crazy. So I, was, I think we sort of hit the tail end before everything really ramps up. But uh, the, the, there were two times. One was the Eiffel Tower, uh, and and a lot of that was because we had had booked a like a, a a tour with the expectation was this tour would get you ahead of the line. So we mm. paid extra money that it, that is supposed to jump the line. <laughs> so, so you're not just you know like in the regular general line to get up there. And it turned out that. That was not the case. It was you could – I'm not even sure what the deal was. But we ended up <laughs> standing – we spent a whole lot of time in line. And then once we actually got up there, it was – I mean just packed with people, packed with people. Mm -hmm. And also like the Eiffel Tower is big, but there's not a whole lot of room when you're when you're on the different levels. And so right. you know, like you're always shouldering past people and just to get to – the elevator that takes you to the next thing was another line that sort of wrapped around. So the, there was the Eiffel Tower. Actually, we went to Versailles, and that was that was a lot of people too. And then our first day in Venice, I just felt completely overwhelmed with people. Some of that too was because I, I was tired. We had had to like take a train and then you know walk with all our luggage over a mile through the streets of Venice and get all mm -hmm. that settled. And actually, this is another good thing to bring up is when you take a trip like this, like you have to take into account the mental energy it's going to take to to get there. Just that transportation, get all my stuff, get the family stuff, get it to the train, get on the train, make sure we have seats, make sure our seats don't have the same numbers as some other people, which we did 
on our first train ride from Rome to uh, to Tuscany, we all had the same seat numbers, and you know, oh, like like that kind of stuff. And then taking your baggage and finding your your hotel, like all that kind of stuff, also bleeds into that excess of of energy and attention. And so by the time we were settled and we could just go walking in Venice, it was. You know the middle of the day, and it was packed with people, and and you're exhausted. I was exhausted and overwhelmed. Yeah. One nice thing about Venice, which was a surprise to me, is that there would be big areas where just packed with people, but then you take a little alley, and like some of the alleys, like they're super, super tiny, <laughs> um, and, and then you could go on another street, and there's nobody. Wow. I just sort of expected it to be packed the whole time, but it's just sort of where like all the restaurants are and things like mm. that. I can't remember my original point here uh, again <laughs> because of the jet, jet lag. lag. But, but it's the energy that it requires just just to do all that, and then on top of that, to think, okay, well, now I'm in a, in a place where I want to take some pictures, and how am I going to do that? And what's right. my expectation? Do I really want to try to do something artistic? And mm-hmm. and occasionally, especially when I had the little little X one or V. That was my release because mm-hmm. I could stick it into a, a black and white mode and and just look for light and shadow. And that distracted me enough from the crowds and everything that I could have a little bit of focus, then come back out, kind of recharge, even if a lot of those pictures are not anything that I'm, I will probably ever share. Right. Still that that experience. It's of a it. little bit of phototherapy, right? There. <clears throat> phototherapy, yes, absolutely. <laughs> I think what's one of the lessons I picked up from all my trips, but this one, you know, being a family trip involving a lot of miles and, and crowds of people and all of that was, if photography is a creative effort, and I think a lot of times effort's probably the right word, and you're just spent, you're exhausted, mm-hmm. it's just not going to. It's not going to work. Now, I, I'm glad you were able to kind of push through that and get some photos despite that. There were several times on my trip where I was like, I'm just not happening today. And we we did have a lot of weather. We had a lot of rain and we had a lot of mm. kind of low skies, so we didn't see the mountains and things like that. But when they did come out, being a family trip, and this is something we talked about on our trip planning episode, which is one of our earlier episodes yeah. last year. But it's worth bringing up again, when you're traveling with your family and it's not a photography trip, you have to steal the moments and where usually both of us, usually that means sunrise, you know, you're going to get out mm-hmm. early. And I found on this trip, that was very hard for me to do because the vehicle I would use to get to the sunrise locations was the one my, we were all sleeping in. Oh, right. right. <laughs> so I couldn't, in the campgrounds we were at, there wasn't really an opportunity for me to get up and go shoot the sunrise where I could walk somewhere. And there mm-hmm. was one campground in particular that that would have worked for for a walking sunrise shoot. But that morning we decided to drive to Moraine Lake, which is probably the biggest photo hotspot in the Canadian Rockies mm-hmm. and the parking situation there. Speaking of crowds, the p- parking situation is such that if you're not there by 5 a.m., you don't get in. You don't get to park there. And if you can't park there, you can't drive up the road. So once the parking lot's full, the rangers close the road 10 miles away and you're not going to photograph sunrise over Marine Lake unless you get there by 5 a.m. So we had to get up at you know three o'clock in the morning and drive there because we were an hour away. 
And so I didn't have any locations where I could just get out and make photos in the morning, like I usually would on a family trip. And so I felt like the one time that I had that sunrise thing, I had to bring my family with me. I had to get them on board. And I felt a great deal of stress about that. Yeah. But the nice thing, I'll tell you, the nice thing about this camper van, we pulled up, we got our parking spot at Moraine Lake, and it was, you know, 4 a.m., <laughs> got our parking spot at Moraine Lake. My kids crawled into bed with my wife. I closed all the curtains and shades in the van. I got all my gear. I quietly closed the door. And I went and photographed the sunrise for about two and a half hours. I came back and they were still asleep. Nice. And so I made coffee very quietly and I sat in the front and I drank my coffee and watched people walk by in the parking lot and drank my coffee. And I think I closed my eyes for like five minutes and I woke up and I was like, I need to go up, get out and walk around a little bit. So I went on a little hike, <laughs> took some more photos, kind of explored a little bit, then came back and everybody was starting to wake up. I'm like, well, this worked out pretty well. Yeah. I got to drive to my sunrise location, bring my whole family with me, <laughs> and they still had the opportunity to sleep in, which was really, really nice for them. Not so great for me. I was really tired yeah. at the end of that day. But it's challenging. It's very hard to be creative when you're worried about all the stresses of travel, especially with you if you've got kids along mm -hmm. that you're responsible for. All the stresses of, uh, for me, a lot of times I end up planning our trips. And so a lot of stresses of, well, they're not having a good time. And that's my fault because that was my idea. Right. When I finally get through all of that, is there anything left over to make photos with as far as creative juices? And well, sometimes it is, there isn't. Sometimes it's best for me just to <laughs> grab a glass of wine and sit down somewhere and read a book. So yeah. I think that was a lesson I, I learned on this trip was just don't sweat it. You know, if you can get that opportunity, get it. Otherwise, at one point I told my wife, I know where to come back to. And I definitely know not to try to be in Banff in June. Mm -hmm. <laughs> in late mm -hmm. June. Like you said, I think it wasn't quite the peak of the busy season, but it was certainly getting there. Yeah. And everybody was talking about all the people that waiters and baristas and stuff I talked to. A lot of people are saying, like, yeah, it's going to be really busy this year. We're mm -hmm. all kind of bracing ourselves. Because uh, people finally get to travel again and they've, they've been pent up. And I'm like, well, that's us. You know, we were waiting yeah. a couple of years to do this trip. So, gosh, you know, I think it's it's a challenge for us photographers when we're on, on the road to be able to make photos at mm -hmm. good times to make photos when you've got to do all the other stuff. Well, and I mean, the, this extends to just travel in general. Like you see so many people who just get to the end of their Freaking last nerve traveling. And yeah. like my outlook is always the minute you set foot out of your house, you got to expect that something might go wrong and patience will go so far. And there were a couple of times when, for example, we had a tour booked for, for the Coliseum to go into the mm -hmm. Coliseum. And I also have to shout out here to my wonderful wife because she she's the planner in our family. And so she did so much work and 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 a lot of these things going to Europe. I don't know how how it was years ago, but now like you really do need to get tickets for things weeks in advance. Mm -hmm. And so so we had booked this this tour. It was going to be like a two-hour walking tour. We got to go inside the Coliseum. And the afternoon before, they sent an email saying, due to circumstances, this tour has been canceled today, which we didn't see until the morning of. 
we show up at their office and it's all closed and then we you know go check the spam filters and oh I guess we don't have tickets so we didn't actually get to go inside the Coliseum so then it was a matter of well what are we going to do instead I, I think we ultimately had an okay day oh by the way I should mention it was a hundred degrees in Rome it's hot Ugh. Uh, I'll get back to that in a second but just that flexibility of okay something has gone sideways what are we going to do instead and you know we had two teenagers with us so it was it was uh, <laughs> the, our family the three of us and then a friend of ours and her uh, teenage son who's a year older so we had a 15 year old and a 14 year old in 100 degrees that's rough. <laughs> Teenagers are just like, why are we here? And yeah. oh, hopping from shade to shade. And can yeah. we have more gelato? And you know, like, like the whole bit. <laughs> and yet, I don't look back and say that wasn't a good day. So being flexible. Oh my god! All right, going back to the to the temperature. I have to praise you specifically mm. for our episode on travel clothing. Because based on on a couple of your recommendations, I bought a couple of the the REI T-shirts that that wick away sweat. And basically, I was able to handle being in 100-degree temperatures. So in Rome, it was actually up to 100 degrees. In the rest of Italy – it was in the like high – mid to high 90s and in Venice, it, it actually was in the 80s but it was really humid. And right. so the, the entire time – I say this as someone who you know sits in front of a desk in an office most of the time. I In Seattle. In Seattle. <laughs> I don't think I have ever sweat as much for as long for as many days. And let me tell you, dear listener – Wicking technology is amazing. <laughs> so yeah, that made a huge difference. I only brought like two pairs of pants and maybe four shirts because we had to have size and weight restrictions. Actually, yeah. we, we miscalculated the weight restrictions and ended up having to check bags that I thought we could carry on, mm. um, which is one reason why as of this morning, my suitcase is somewhere over Scotland so on its way back to Scotland, here. Yeah. Everyone else's suitcases made it just fine. It was mine. Mine didn't. Oh, and, and then one last thing related to that. Because of these weight restrictions, I I couldn't bring my my Peak Design travel tripod in my bag. So the, the backpack that I brought is the, the Shimoda bag that we've talked about before. Mm-hmm. And I just couldn't do it. And so knowing that I would have to put my tripod into a checked bag, I said, you know what? The nice carbon fiber uh, peak design one, that's just going to stay home and I'm going to take my – I can't even remember how – like $200 three-legged thing. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Travel tripod and and that worked out really well because if my bag never reaches me, that's OK, right? You can live without that. Yeah, yeah. I, I can live without that tripod and having it was fine and actually having the ball head um, – was also good because I did end up getting one of the platypods, which was the little plate, and that made a huge difference in places where I, I couldn't bring a tripod. So I only used mm-hmm. my tripod really the mornings that I that I went out to shoot uh, on so my own. Let's talk about the platypod because I, I used um, when I did my trip to Europe pre-pandemic. I went to a lot of castles and stuff in Denmark mm. and. 
I used the platypod. I have the original. Just a, it's just a plate. Mm-hmm. It's a metal plate with a stud that takes the ball head. Yeah. And I used it a lot on the floor in these castles. And I would actually sit down, kind of pick a room that wasn't crowded, and I would sit in the corner and set my camera up with a wide-angle lens and shoot these kind of long exposures in these rooms. And it worked really well for that. And, but what surprised me was there was oftentimes where I was wanting to set up to take a long exposure of a cityscape. There was a pole or a bench or a railing or something that I could attach to. Mm-hmm. And I also carry a little clamp that clamps onto things that a ball head can hook to. Oh, cool. And I use that a lot. And I was, I guess I was, my question would be, do you think you could have done this trip without a tripod at all? Yes. Yes, I think so. Because, um, in fact, uh, so I'll share a a panorama that I did when we were in um, Florence. I think it was Florence. See now, now like like all That's all, all, blurring all, together. All, all the cities are blurring together. So there's this Palazzo Michelangelo that has this great view of Florence, and the sun comes down right there over the Alba River, and you've got you know the churches and the Duomo and all this. And I brought my tripod for that. This was the one where I decided that I would just go do the sunset, and the family said, "You go ahead and do that. We'd have no interest in it." I managed to get there maybe an hour before sunset and found myself a spot. There's a railing, sort of a a wide flat railing. And there were so many people there. I basically had to like, like defend my spot (laughs) and, and, and just not move because to my right was like the optimal corner, but there were people who would, you know, take selfies and then somebody else would come in and take selfies. And so I just had to like sit right there and they're really, I probably could have set up a tripod if I wanted to, but it was so much more convenient to just stick the, the, the platypod there with its little uh, adjustable feet. And so then I was able to once, – once the sunset really started to happen, I just made a whole bunch of HDR panorama shots where I could just cool. swivel swivel on this ball head. And I'm pretty sure I, like, I took an iPhone photo of the setup. That, mm-hmm. that I can also share. And that was great because I was compact. I wasn't, you know, sort of encroaching. It, it was funny because I'm taking pictures and then every once in a while, like a cell phone would just sort of <laughs> appear <laughs> over my shoulder as someone was taking a picture. But as long as I didn't move and relinquish my spot, it, it worked out okay. Yeah. But um, having that flexibility and not having to to, to be – how to say this nicely without being like one of those photographer guys right. who's like, all right, I've got my tripod. I need my space and all that. There, mm-hmm. there wasn't. I mean, there were people five deep behind me. Wow. And as long as I didn't look at them, I could <laughs> just stick yeah. with my spot. Pretend they were out there. Yeah. A few lessons if I can put a bow on this. Mm-hmm. Expect crowds. Expect crowds. If you're going anywhere that's interesting, expect crowds. <laughs> right? Yeah. Maybe pack Pack with just what you need and not necessarily, you know, go big and bulky so that you don't have to check bags, right? Yeah. And if you do check a bag, put an air tag in it, right? Yes. Yes. Yep. So you can track it as it comes home to you. That's how I know that it was over Scotland <laughs> a couple hours ago. <laughs> in fact, I have, I have air tags in all my backpacks and bags now. And so when I I was telling you earlier, when I leave my car at, 
if I leave anything in the car, it beeps. My watch goes, Hey, you've left all these things behind. I'm like, I know I can't bring everything every time. Yeah. And so, you know, those things are all important. If you can squeeze some time out in the, for yourself to make photos at any point and still have the energy to do that, mm-hmm. that's, that's a gift. That's a gift when you're traveling with family, right? Right, right. Well, and also I will add the other side effect of that was uh, I think in all of these cases when I either did a morning or or the one sunset there, when I was done and everything's packed away and then just that nice sense of um, – in, in my case, I had to walk back everywhere. So it was usually a, a, about a mile, mile and a half walk each way mm-hmm. and – those were times when I just had the city to myself. I mean obviously I had like all sorts of other people. But then I I was done being the photographer and I didn't have to figure out where my family was going and plan dinner and all that. I had those little windows of walking across the Seine and just sort of strolling under the Eiffel Tower when wow. there was no other expectation. Mm-hmm. And there are a few times like that. One of my best times was walking from that palazzo in Florence back to our hotel because like it was the, – the sun had gone down and it, it had finally, finally, finally cooled off. <laughs> uh, and so I just – you know I got a soda and I walked and and just had this like nice blissful experience. Wow. So, you know, like also make a point of of doing those kind of things too. Especially if you're like us, like we tend to be introverts and so being around so many people just takes up so much energy. That's it it's incredibly exhausting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was surprised again, broken record, but I was surprised in the and I shouldn't have been that in the deep in the mountains of Canada that I would be surrounded by people almost everywhere I went. Yeah. You know, if I, if I'd gone on a trail and, and truly hiked somewhere off the beaten path, mm-hmm. I'm sure I could have found solitude, but, um, we just didn't have those many of those moments on this particular trip. Right. So, right. But you sound, sounds like you had some, some nice times, quiet times in the morning. I love the mornings for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, you know me. I'm such a morning person. That, yeah. Uh, such a <laughs> when I'm traveling, I make an exception and, and yep. it, it it mostly, mostly always paid off. So um, – and, and I would say I don't have any serious regrets that I can think about or that I can recall right now. Surprisingly, I think I took the right amount of gear even though I felt like I had a lot. And that was also because like, like for example, I took a drone with me. And I, mm, that's right. I was able to to fly my drone just just a, like literally twice in Tuscany, but you know I I sold my own drone, my old drone, and I and I bought a, a DJI Mini Two that was nice and small and compact, and so like I knew that I would have a lot of stuff, but the only thing that comes to mind that I did not use at all was a battery charger for my my little Fuji batteries because mm. I also have like one of these little Nightcore USB-based chargers. Okay. I, I had brought this and I had bought like a, another one that came with some others and this was all I needed to do my charging. Well, and you can also charge both of uh, the drone and your cameras with USB-C, right? Exactly, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, I did that a couple times too. Yeah. I find that just plugging my camera in at night and just, hey, just plug it in and top it off. Mm-hmm. You know, it worked really well on this trip. I didn't have any battery struggles, which is good. I didn't shoot a lot either, but yeah. But yeah. Anyway, I think we, uh, I think we did, did, we did pretty well for a couple of world travelers who hadn't world traveled in a while. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Seriously. Um, we both made it home. So that's good. Both made it home. My luggage will hopefully make it home before this podcast gets posted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I hope um, so. Hope it gets but, there today. So, so now I am curious. Uh, I would love to hear from our listeners what you're doing or what you have done this summer. If you know you have any photographic travel or anything like that, because on the back end of this trip, I have a ton of photos to edit and just I want to know what everybody else is doing too. Yeah, I do too. I want to know what lessons learned from people. Let's, let's <laughs> gather gather this wisdom together. So with this show, as always, on our website, photocombobulate.com, we're going to have a show notes page and I'll have a form on there. So if you want to drop us a message about any travel plans you have or any trips you've taken this summer and anything you've learned from those trips, we would love to hear from you. Always we want to hear from, from you. That If you've taken the time to listen to this, we uh, care very much about what you think. And what you're uh, thinking about. So check us out at photocombobulate.com. We're also in all the social media spots, Instagram, Facebook, all those places. The show will be uh, comes out on this coming Wednesday. Um, and then we are looking at downrange at our schedule. So if you have any ideas mm, yeah. for topics that you would like us to cover, this is the time to give us some, some tips because we're kind of gathering up some plans. Fill out that form. Let us know. There's always a contact us form on our website where you can reach out or any of the social medias. Just yeah. reach out to us. I had a, a one of our listeners reach out through LinkedIn, which was new for me. Oh, <laughs> I was like, wow. I didn't think about that one. (laughs) So yeah, seek us out and we would love to hear from you. You are uh, part of the family here. Yeah. And, you know, travel photography, traveling is such a big topic. If there's something that we did not discuss today that you're hoping to hear about, uh, let us know because there's there's so much that we could drill down into. Such is the nature of photocombobulating these topics. They tend to get even more combobulated, uh, discombobulated. I'm going to include some photos from my trip. Uh, we will definitely get Jeff's photos once he gets them. The ones that he's got processed now, I yeah. don't know if we'll get all of them because yeah, this I, comes out in a couple days. I have a few. But we'll get some stuff up and you can check those all out on our show notes page. So thank you so much for listening and we will see you next time. Next time, after I go to sleep for many hours. <laughs> <Yeah>. Ciao, Vita. <laughs> Ciao. Ciao.